We've had people come to us many times over the years since we've existed, delighted to realize we exist because they thought that they were the only ones. Or they may be aware that other pro-life atheists or secular people exist, but they are very, very, very nervous about having their immediate social circles and professional and academic circles find out that they are pro-life. Welcome to the Dear Jane podcast. I'm your host, Scott Baker. Think everyone in the pro-life movement has a faith base? I want to think again. On this edition of Dear Jane, we introduce you to the group called Secular Pro-Life. This is a pro-life group that includes atheists, agnostics, and others whom you may not readily associate with the pro-life movement. Monica Snyder is the executive director of Secular Pro-Life and joins me on this edition of Dear Jane. Monica, welcome to Dear Jane. Thank you for joining us. So tell us a little bit about Secular Pro-Life. So Secular Pro-Life is an atheist-led anti-abortion organization. I'm the executive director. I am an atheist. The board is led by atheists. But you don't have to be an atheist to be involved. We have a three-part mission. The first part is to create space in the pro-life movement for non-religious people to do anti-abortion work. And that could be atheists, agnostics, humanists. It could also be people that have a whole variety of kinds of religious or supernatural beliefs, but don't consider themselves particularly religious or affiliated with an organized religion. Uh, The second part of the mission is to advance secular arguments against abortion. And the third part is to create interfaith coalitions of anyone who wants to advance those secular arguments. So to be very clear, we work with practicing Catholics, evangelical Christians, and the people more typically associated with the pro-life movement, if they are the kind of people who want to advance secular arguments. We don't actually really care what you believe personally in terms of your religion. We just care if you're with us on the abortion issue. And so we work on all three of those fronts. We try to specifically seek out and encourage atheists and agnostics to do more anti-abortion work. But we also work with all sorts of people who want to help us make these arguments for the public. You know what? I kind of like what you said there, because for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I felt compelled to tell you I'm a Christian and and your response was, okay, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's go ahead. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So to be very clear, it's run by atheists, but we are not trying to create more atheists. We're trying to create more pro-life people. That's, that's the distinction I'm trying to make. We actually specifically avoid religious debates. We are not interested Uh, We focus very specifically on anti-abortion discussions and not religious debates. Well, and I already learned something going to your website. Secular does not just mean atheist. No, it just means non-religious, basically. So we have we have followers who are Christian and they have their own personal views about religion but they specifically want to make arguments that don't involve religion because in the circles they run in and in the environments they find themselves, they're with a lot of people who don't necessarily share their Christian views and they want to be able to speak in a common language, basically. So help me understand or give us a feel for what is the size of the the force out there, if you will, uh, the size of the secular pro-life movement. How many people are we talking about? It is difficult to estimate. We try to guess based on polls. The best that we can tell, there is at least 12 million Americans who are specifically uh, secular and oppose abortion, but it really depends on how you define both secular and opposing abortion. For example, if you were only looking at atheists, it would be much smaller because only 3% of the American population is atheist. If you were looking at anyone who considers themselves not particularly religious, regardless of what they might think about the existence of God or the afterlife, then it would be a lot, lot larger. 
if when you say anti-abortion, you mean anyone who is opposed to elective abortion in a general sense, that's really broad. If you get, if you drill down to talking about different kinds of exceptions, it might get more specific. So that's the long answer. The short answer is probably somewhere between 12 and 20 million people who, who are specifically secular and oppose abortion. And if you're just talking about vaguely non-religious, it gets a lot larger than that, especially, and you've probably seen this, there's a lot of polls to show that over the last 10 years and increasingly so, there's the rise of the nuns. And I don't mean N-U-N-S, I mean N-O-N-E-S, the rise of the non-religious. Increasingly, people are saying they don't consider themselves affiliated with a religion. And there's lots of questions about who those people are, and what that means. Are they atheists? No, most of them are not atheists. A lot of them are ex-Christians or nominally religious, like maybe they go for Christmas and that's it. And they just still consider themselves very religious. We're interested in that group too. We're interested in talking to the people who are going to be motivated by something other than a specific religious faith or a specific, you know, holy text or something like that. Are these folks afraid to activate because maybe they don't want to join a particular political team or to commit to supporting all the other political issues that might be perceived to be attached to the entire pro-life movement? Yeah, there are several barriers to entry. I think one of them is that in this, the more secular they are, especially actual atheists, the more likely they are to be in social circles, professional circles that are overwhelmingly pro-choice. So even if they already harbor pro-life views, they are very likely to feel alienated. We've had people come to us many times over the years since we've existed delighted to realize we exist because they thought that they were the only ones or they may be aware that other pro-life atheists or secular people exist but they are very 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 nervous about having their immediate social circles and professional and academic so circles find out that they are pro-life for example we have several atheist volunteers who work with us on condition of anonymity they have been enormously helpful but they do not want their names associated with anything and they don't want the people in their lives to find out that they are so into this that they will do activism. So we have that barrier to entry. Then, of course, secular people, not all secular people, but secular people are more likely to affiliate with traditionally left-wing viewpoints and left-wing circles. So even apart from the abortion debate, you're going to have sort of a feeling of alienation if you're taking what is traditionally seen as a very, very conservative right-wing position. Our group really strives to be bipartisan for that reason. We're trying to make a space for secular people, but also for just... Really anyone that I refer to as a non-traditional pro-lifer, and by that I mean anyone who is not necessarily religious or straight or white. I mean, those aren't those stereotypes aren't all necessarily even true, but when people perceive it that way, it can make a big difference to whether or not they want to get involved and want to do activism work. In fact, and I won't retell the entire story here, but our, vo our board vice president, her name is Teresa Bukovinak, and she originally got involved in pro-life work when she saw me working with Secular Pro-Life. We were Facebook friends. She is an animal rights activist and a vegan and a registered Democrat, and she lived in San Francisco, and she didn't think that really she could be pro-life because of all these other factors. And then she saw online, she saw me interacting with this group, Secular Pro-Life. She's an atheist. And when she saw that, it was like a light bulb moment. She realized that there is space for her to do this without getting yelled at by both sides, basically. You still do get yelled at by both sides, but you have friends there with you while you're being yelled at. So that helps. Well, I'm wondering how that even then would come up in conversation. I mean- Which part? You, well, I mean, you're talking about, you know, people are, are so worried about it that they're they're wanting to remain anonymous. Uh, they're pro-life beliefs, I mean. Yeah. Uh, so keep this anonymous and, and people are getting yelled at. And 
I mean, I'm envisioning. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use some stereotypes here. I'll admit, but you know, if somebody's in conversation uh, just about the issues of the day, and they're in 99% alignment on all the issues of the day until this comes up, pro-life abortion issue comes up, mm-hmm. they're probably gonna be quiet on this one. Mm-hmm. So how would how would their pro-life stance even come up? They're usually just gonna be quiet. Right. And that's and that's what they do. And that generally works for them. But they're concerned that if they do work with us, that involves their name, like if they write a blog post, if they go to a protest that is televised or, or a walk or a march or something, they're worried if they put their name on it, somebody will find out. And, and especially especially for people who are younger and still job hunting, still worried about background checks or just, you know, your employers can look you up. Um, to be frank, for most kinds of pro-life activism, it is not likely that people will find out about it unless you want them to. But once your name does get publicly attached on the internet, it's always possible. Yeah. And for some people, that is a very nerve-wracking possibility. That takes a lot of courage, though, I'm thinking, for, for, for some of these folks to actually go public with their pro-life stance. Yeah, um, for some of them. And I think it's hard for, for those of us who exist in social circles that largely agree with us, or at least are aware that people disagree and, and, and different people have different views. It's not as big of a deal. So I, I am very out about my pro-life views, obviously. And so I have lots of pro-choice friends, but they know what I think. And it's not something I have to tiptoe around. And so it's hard for me to stop and remember what it was like when I was, when I was younger and when I was concerned about job hunting and when I lived, I lived in California and higher education. And it was, it was very obvious that it is just assumed that everyone around you is pro-choice. People make little offhand comments, not constantly, but frequently enough that it's clear to everyone involved that we all assume that all correct thinking people are pro-choice. And if you're not, it's, it's a thing. It could be socially awkward and, and you worry that it could be a problem in other realms. And I think it's hard for me to remember now because it hasn't been a problem for me for a long time. But for some people, it's not even just a professional thing. It's their friend. It's people they're very close to and people they want to get along with and people they have a lot of ties to. And then you have something like the Dobbs decision comes out and everyone is mouthing off on social media and they're saying some very vitriolic things. It was actually a little surprising to me because from my perspective, Dobbs, it wasn't everything, but it was a big, important step forward for pro-life work. In my opinion, it was very big. And I felt enormous relief and joy and gratitude and surprise, like a a lot of emotions mixed with this sort of pensiveness about the whole nature of the debate. But I was surprised how many people on our side felt despair. And we had multiple people contact us privately, especially secular people over the ensuing weeks, feeling just unbelievably alienated and and worried that the forces against us are too powerful because they were in situations where all they see is tons of rage and vitriol and specifically directed at people who hold their views and now the people saying this don't know they hold these views but people they're close to sometimes it was spouses sometimes it's you know, very close friends that you've known for years and years, you didn't even, you knew they were probably pro-choice. You didn't really talk about it. And then this happens and they're saying some really aggressive, angry things. And we had some, I had somebody asked us, you know, is there some kind of pro-life atheist Zoom meetup or something? I really Mm. need to talk to someone 
who gets it. You know, I, I, we all know a lot of pro-life people. There's plenty of pro-life people in the world, but it is it is different in kind when a lot of them are very, very religious and they and they express their pro-life views in terms of religion. And we're not against that. We just don't relate. Right. And so there is an element of trying to create a space, li- literally sometimes, of a place where people who are not religious and who are against abortion can gather and be free to kind of talk it through without our pro-choice peers being absolutely outraged that we have the audacity to be not religious and pro-life. And then our pro-life Christian friends also, usually they're not as aggressive, but if we talk about things in terms of secularism, there's always an element of people who want to gently let us know that, you know, atheism doesn't actually make sense. And we're so glad you're with us, but I hope you think that through a little bit more. And like that gets very, very old. So we're trying to make a space for the people who share both the secular position and the pro-life position to just work together without it being Uh, so exhausting. Well, you said a lot there um, that that makes that you just raised a lot of questions. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, how the pro-life movement treats secular pro-lifers. And then we're going to talk about how really the basis of the value of life for secular pro-lifers and that much, much more. When we come back with Monica Snyder from Secular Pro-Life here on Dear Jane. I'd like to tell you more about Choose Life Marketing. Choose Life Marketing is a full-service pro-life marketing agency with data-driven solutions for organizations of all sizes. They serve pregnancy centers, right-to-life organizations, adoption agencies, Christian-led businesses, and more with services ranging from Google paid search and websites to social media and consulting. With clients in all 50 United States, as well as Canada, Ireland, Taiwan, and Australia, Choose Life Marketing has provided services to over 600 clients and counting. They are pro-life marketing leaders with a heart for life. Experts in navigating the rapidly changing post-row climate reach out to Choose Life Marketing by visiting ChooseLifeMarketing.com to get started on crafting your best marketing strategy. We're back with Monica Snyder from Secular Pro-Life. She is their executive director. So uh, Monica, in the first segment, we were talking about you're talking a little bit about how how secular pro-lifers, some of the ch- unique challenges that they face. And one of the things in the pro-life movement, I should say specifically, one of the things you talked about was how secular pro-lifers are treated by others within the movement. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, I, this new term that I only recently learned in the last several weeks, is that side glances. Um, <laughs> you get a lot of that. I mean, how, how, how are secular pro-lifers treated in the movement generally? What's your experience? So to preface this, the vast majority of the work we do is online, and that does change the dynamic a lot. So we do have a lot of people who follow us and appreciate our work who are Christian, but they are self-selecting to follow us, and they tend to be generally very supportive and not there's not so much of the side glance element. Sometimes our work goes outside of our normal online spheres, and you can tell when it does because you'll start to get more pro-choice pushback and more... Um, the type of religious pro-lifers who are concerned about the fact that we are secular. And so online, the side glance element will usually take the form of aggressive questions about why atheists should care about morality at all and how atheism doesn't really make sense because you can't ground your morality compared to Christianity. That's one of the biggest ones. And then sometimes well-meaning, but still 
frankly, kind of frustrating comments about how they really hope we think more about this, how they are praying for us. And just generally, generally people who I know, I know what they're doing is they're worried about my soul and they're hoping I'll come around, but they don't understand, first of all, how many people say that. And secondly, they don't bother to find out, not that I would necessarily talk to online strangers about this, anything about why a person is atheist. I find that Christians seem to assume if you're atheist, you've always been atheist. You've never been exposed to Christianity and you just haven't really thought it through. And uh, that's not super fun. I usually don't respond to those kind of comments because as I mentioned in the first segment, we do not engage in religious debates at Secular Pro-Life. So I usually just literally ignore it. Um, I might talk to pro-life activist friends privately about these kinds of things if we have a friendship and I trust them, but random online people letting me know that they hope I think it through more. I just don't, I just don't even bother. Uh, in person, it's, it tends to be more obvious. So when we table at conferences, when we give speeches or presentations, when we go to, you know, fundraising galas or just different events where you are in person with people, you are more likely to come across people who weren't expecting you because they didn't go follow your Facebook page. And they are more likely to want to have a conversation with you right here and now about why atheism makes sense. And I find that there are sort of a couple different versions of this. There are people who are just excited to meet an atheist in person and get a chance to talk to someone directly about this. I presume that they have a lot of ideas about religion and atheism that they've talked to with other people who kind of share their view, but they would like to talk to someone who actually disagrees just to get out of the echo chamber and to have that interesting conversation. And I don't begrudge anyone that. I love people getting out of echo chambers. That's a great idea. But I would like to consent to the conversation first. <laughs> so there's that kind of person. They're not they're not necessarily um, aggressive about it. It's an intellectual curiosity for them. That's one kind of person. Another kind of person is very well-meaning and sweet, where it's the same conversation, but they, they want to prod a little bit because they're hoping to bring up points that will engender some kind of cognitive dissonance in me that maybe eventually down the road, I will become Christian because I realize that atheism doesn't make sense. And they're trying to save my soul. And I understand that they're doing it from a good place. Um, still not a conversation I really want to have, especially with someone who doesn't know anything about me, except for that they met me 30 seconds ago and they found out I was an atheist. And then the worst kind are the people who are like kind of mad that I'm an atheist and and they seem to be confused and concerned and even a little, maybe a little bit angry to find at a pro-life event, just sitting right next to them is someone who will just say they're an atheist and they don't know what it means. They often mistakenly think that I'm going to try to argue with them about Christianity or that I have, or that I have some kind of motivation to bring down religious content or something like that, which again, didn't really find out about us because as I've said, our group is absolutely not interested in religious debates. We're so not interested in religious debates that regardless of which of these three characters wants to talk to me about atheism, I won't. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Uh, if it's a private conversation outside of my professional work, I might, but in the context of secular pro-life, I'm not going to get into religious debates with people about whether atheism or Christianity makes sense. We're trying to build coalitions and arguing about religion when I'm not even trying to convince people to be atheists is at best useless and at worst directly counterproductive to the very work I'm trying to do, which is to bring more people into the pro-life side, have more people be equipped to give secular arguments when the context calls for it. And I don't want people to feel alienated because they were sitting at the same dinner table as me and someone arguing about whether atheism or Christianity is true. Do you think secular pro-lifers are made to feel less pro-life because they are secular? Oh, yes. I think there are a lot of I think there are a lot of Christians who are hoping that if they ask certain probing questions, they will eventually 
get an atheist pro-lifer to be a Christian pro-lifer. But in my experience, they're much more likely to get an atheist pro-lifer to be an atheist pro-choicer. That's what's probably going to happen because I'm not saying atheists never convert to Christianity. Obviously some do, but I don't think it's done by strangers at a pro-life gala. I have a really big uphill battle getting atheists to do activist work, even if they are already pro-life. And it's made more uphill when they go to events where it is overwhelmingly religious, even if nobody bothers them about it, just because it's alienating, um, much less if they go to events where it's overwhelmingly re religious and people are trying to push them to defend their atheism in a public setting with a bunch of people they don't know, usually with several people listening in. And it's it's very unpleasant. And, and sometimes I think the other side doesn't understand this. So my mother is Catholic. She really supports my work. And we've talked a lot about this before. And I've tried to explain to her the phenomenon I'm explaining to you. And sometimes she says, well, who cares? Just ignore them. And yeah, for the most part, I do. But I am so devoted to this that I do it for a living. Um, not everybody is. And even with me ignoring them, sometimes just imagine, imagine if there was a grave human rights issue that you cared very, very passionately about and you really wanted to work on. But for whatever reason in this alternate universe, almost everyone who worked on it were atheists. And they're glad to have you around. They're glad, even if you're a Christian, they're glad to have you around because we share this issue and we're allies on this. But every time you went to work on it, you had to just put out of your mind frequent discussions about how obviously God isn't real and more people should read, you know, God is not great by Christopher Hitchens. And then when they find out you're a Christian, they kind of are like, oh, okay. Um, but you know, that doesn't make sense. Right. And like, or, or even in a very kind way, they'll say, I just, I just want to encourage you. I, I will, I'll leave you alone about it. I can tell you don't want to talk about it, but I just want to encourage you keep thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, thank you. Mm -hmm. If only I had thought to think about it. <laughs> Like, you see what I'm saying? Oh, Again, yeah. Oh, yeah. For the most part, for the most part, and I want to emphasize this, the Christians who follow our content are very supportive and they don't try to start religious arguments and they're they're very kind for the most part. It's it's not everybody. But if the minority is vocal enough, it still is a is a barrier for me in terms of my group's mission. We're trying to make space for people who aren't religious to feel like they can work here. And if they feel like the only way they can do anti-abortion work is to have continual little comments about how a core part of their identity is kind of stupid then that that's a problem that makes it difficult yeah we're talking with monica snyder who's the executive director of secular pro-life so let's talk about one of the things that you mentioned there and on your website uh you have a piece there that's very good and delves into this pretty deeply um and that is why why the sort of the source of your pro-life belief and mm -hmm. And it's a great piece, and I would encourage people to read it. So the heart of it is this. So, so me as a Christian, you know, I'm pro-life, and a lot of people in the pro-life movement as Christian, we're pro-life because, you know, we believe uh, that that people are made in the image of God, and, you know, God, people are God's creation. Uh, and But then as you alluded to earlier, people come up to you, well, okay, if you don't believe that, how can you actually be pro-life and all this? Mm -hmm. So so help us, under, help us understand what is the basis of your passion for being pro-life? Okay, so we get this question a whole lot, usually from pro-life Christians, sometimes from pro-choice secular people, although the context of those two things is very different. So for pro-life Christians, like you just said, they want to know not just why we're pro-life, but why we care about anything related to morality at all. <laughs> Or, or maybe to put a more generous spin on it, they recognize that we clearly do care a lot. They're not saying we don't care. They're not saying we're sociopaths. They just wonder 
where we think that passion comes from, right? If it's not coming from an objective morality that stems from um, a creator that reflects right. all of goodness, right. basically, right? I usually don't try to explain that to them. I usually say the secular pro-life debate is not about whether human beings have rights. I, in my experience, atheists, agnostics, and generally non-religious people are not asking, they are not asking the question, do human beings have human rights? And if so, why? And where does the morality come from? They're not interested in that at all. Generally, they just accept. And they, I'm not saying, I shouldn't say they just accept. They may have a whole variety of different reasons why they think this makes sense. But they start with the premise that human beings have rights. And then we ask them to make sure when they're talking about that, that they include human beings even before they're born. So the secular pro-life debate is not, do human beings have rights and why or why not? It's if you believe human beings have rights, we want to know why you're not including prenatal children. That's the secular pro-life debate. A religious debate between Christian and atheist pro-lifers or pro-choice or whatever would get more into, well, where does morality come from in the first place? But I have found that the, at least nine times out of 10, when people ask us, where does your morality come from? They're Christian pro-lifers concerned about atheism. They're not pro-choice people concerned about pro-lifeism. All that being said, there are conversations about where would an atheist ground their morality? Do atheists believe in objective morality versus just not being concerned about it or thinking it's subjective? And if they do, how do they make sense of that? And I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert to explain all of it. I did, there was an interesting debate. It's on YouTube. It's between William Lane Craig and Eric, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Eric, if you're listening, I can't remember if it's Weidelberg or Weidelberg, but it's a very interesting debate where they both start with the premise that objective morality exists. And then they argue about whether Christianity or atheism can better explain that and why or why not. So you can find arguments from atheists about objective morality. You can also find arguments from atheists that say there isn't objective morality, but we still care about things for these other reasons. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying we don't get into it because we find that in almost every case, secular people already share that premise with us and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can see lots of non-religious people very involved in other human rights issues. You can see, and, and whether a Christian pro-lifer will agree with them or not, you can see that obviously when people are fighting for rights for transgender people, LGBT, better rights for immigration and, and things like that. Those all pro-choice people, pro-choice secular people are fighting for human rights as they see it when they argue that women must have a right to control their bodies and women must have equality. They're talking about human rights for women. They don't stop and think, wait a minute, do women and men actually have any rights at all? They start with, there are certain fundamental, really, really important rights and we are very passionate about fighting to make sure these people have these rights. They start with that. Um, and actually, it's a point of, of wry irritation for me. From my perspective, and I may be biased, it is only pro-life atheists who are asked to ground their morality. Nobody asks pro-choice atheists to do that. Mm. Certainly nobody asks Christians on either side to do that. Nobody is going to pro-choice atheists and saying, if you're, or not atheist, secular, could just be generically secular. If you're not religious, then on what basis do you say bodily rights exist? On what basis do you say equality matters? On what basis? Nobody says that. Nobody says that. And nobody says that to pro-life Christians because they assume it's based on the image of God, which is fair. It's only pro-life atheists. It's only pro-life atheists that have to like start from scratch and explain the existence of the universe in order to say that you shouldn't be allowed to kill babies. And I resent that. Mm. <laughs> I don't think that that's a equal standard. Mm. That kind of got on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's that's an interesting point. So you've laid out a lot of challenges here for, for a secular pro-lifer, um, both you know, in terms of expressing their pro-life views in their friendship circles, um, and that sort of thing. How can we help them? How can we help if someone is listening who is, you know, they can say, oh man, Monica, I, I 
I'm hearing you. Uh, that's me. Um, I'm pro-life and, but boy, I, I just, I just cannot connect with the pro-life community and, and so much of the other ways. Um, how can we help them? What, what tools do we, do they need? How can the pro-life community come alongside these folks and, and help them out? That's such a wonderful question. I'm really glad you asked. So first of all, things like this podcast are a great way. The more that you send up flares, letting people know that our group exists or other non-traditional group exists, the more you increase our voice, the more likely it is for us to reach those people who didn't realize that was an option. And they can go to our website, secularproject.org, or all sorts of, uh, we have content across many social media channels and connect with us there. And so you amplifying my voice, that helps a lot. But in terms of besides having me specifically do interviews, um, I think that pro-life Christians can help by trying to make their content more inclusive and more secular. And this is where it gets tricky because then they feel like I'm saying, you know, hide the fact that you're Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But to the extent that you can make content that doesn't rely on a specific Christian basis, that helps. I also think it's very helpful if pro-life groups, and, and we can argue about the different definitions of pro-life. So I will just say if anti-abortion groups focus very specifically on abortion and not on other issues. I find that both sides of the aisle tend to assume pro-lifers are conservatives and pro-choicers are uh, liberals. And there's correlation there. No one's denying that. But it's something like a third of Republicans are pro-choice and something like a fourth of Democrats are pro-life. And that's not one-to-one with religion and secularism, but secular people do usually tend to be more left-leaning and you can kind of make them feel more included by just focusing on abortion and leaving other culture war issues out of it. So this hasn't come up as much since the Supreme Court ruled on um, gay marriage, but in the years preceding that, we often had situations where there'd be a pro-life rally or something that was about abortion, and then they would make side comments about voting for traditional marriage. And our group doesn't take a position on that one way or the other because we're only talking about abortion, but it alienates people who are pro-life but don't feel the same way you do about this other issue. And so if you're trying to increase, in my opinion, if you're trying to increase the pro-life numbers as much as possible, just talk about that. I also, I have a recurring pre-scheduled tweet I put out on our on our uh, Twitter account at least once a month where I just remind people, hey, when you're talking about pro-choice people and pro-choice viewpoints, just say pro-choice. Don't say Democrats, don't say feminists, mm. don't say leftists, just say pro-choice because there are pro-life Democrats, there are pro-life feminists, and we want them to know, hey, same team, same team, okay? Mm. You are welcome here. And, and both sides do it. The, the pro-choice side also does it. But to the extent you can, focus on this issue, leave left versus right out of it, leave you know, religion versus secularism out of it. It's not always possible. Sometimes it depends on what you're doing. And there is a place. I always want to make sure I emphasize this. There's a place for talking about your religious views. There's plenty of pro-life outreach that goes on, for example, in churches or in communities where you know the people you're talking to share that basis of faith with you. There is nothing wrong with talking about that with people. There are There is a whole group called Catholics for Choice I encourage pro-life Catholics to go talk to them about Catholicism. Please do. Okay. There's a place for it. I'm just saying when you're, when you're trying to do a broader outreach, um, try to stay focused on just abortion to the extent that you can and, and go to our website, see what kind of arguments we're using, copy them to the extent you think they make sense. You know, that's, that's why we're here. It's what, and I'm not pretending we invented all of them. I'm just trying to amplify the ones that don't require 
any particular religious content. Again, the website is secularprolife.org. Monica Snyder, thank you so much for joining us here on Dear Jane. Thank you for having me. I want to take a minute and tell you about Soul Global, Sanctity of Human Life Global. Soul Global is a nonprofit organization that believes every human person has value and deserves to be served with dignity from conception through the end of life. Soul Global equips people, churches, and communities with the tools they need to advance the sanctity of human life message around the world. One of the tools they have is Soul Care, which is a complimentary online platform for churches and nonprofits to have an initial voice for the cause of life. Churches and nonprofits can provide online counseling, life affirming education, support, and referrals to resources in their community through the Soul Care tool. And it doesn't end there. To learn more about the many tools Soul Global offers, check out their website at soulglobal, that's S-O-H-L global.org. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Tammy Coker with New Life Family Services in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Tammy has been with New Life for 20 years and the executive director since 2009. She says a lot has changed for the clients New Life serves in the last two decades. The circumstances that they're facing are a lot more difficult and challenging than I think even 20 years ago. So we're serving a lot of um, women who have experienced trauma and poverty and violence and homelessness and things like that, that we saw some of that in the past, but I think that has become much more prevalent for our clientele that we serve. Um, And so our needs or the way that we need to serve those clients has changed as well. So we have licensed social workers on staff at each of our locations. Um, That's something that is unique, I think, for us. But it, we want to make sure that we can really provide wraparound services um, so that if somebody comes in and, you know, they're pregnant and they're homeless, we're not handing them a list of shelters to go at, you know, to go visit. We're really trying to come around and support them with whatever it is that um, they need to continue their pregnancy and to be successful in their lives. New Life has five locations, a licensed adoption agency and a post-abortion program. New Life also has several licensed medical professionals on staff. Unfortunately, like many other pregnancy centers, they have to fight the misinformation that is so prevalent these days. The environment that we're in certainly is not friendly towards what we do. And we've experienced, like many other centers across the country, you know, some certainly negative publicity. We just built a brand new 12,600 square foot facility in urban Minneapolis. And it's our largest pregnancy center, and we've partnered with a full-service medical clinic that's providing prenatal care and whole family care in that community. And we had posters plastered all over the community calling us a fake clinic before we even opened. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison recently put out a so-called consumer alert that completely misrepresented what pregnancy centers do and lied about the composition of center staffing. Even with all that, Tammy says what really matters is how the clients at New Life feel after they have received services. And at the end of the day, it matters more what our clients think about us than it does what anybody else says. So we know that we are serving people well. We know that our clients love us. They feel supported. They often say things like, it's just so nice to be in a place where I'm not feeling pressured. 
I just feel like I can process what I'm going through without, you know, stressing out about what other people want me to do. And at the end of the day, that's why we're here, right? So we're here to serve people and love them well. And we'll continue doing that. And there may be more opportunity to do that as women seek abortions from other states in Minnesota. I really enjoyed my conversation with Monica Snyder from Secular Pro-Life. She is really engaging and I look forward to visiting with her again. You know, as a Christian, I understand it's our duty to reach out to unbelievers and share our faith. At the same time, in the pro-life movement, isn't there room for non-believers in the movement? And shouldn't these folks be welcomed regardless of their religious beliefs? Is it possible to link arms with them in the name of life without trying to convert them? One thing's for certain, these agnostic, atheist, secular pro-life supporters shouldn't be looked down upon as less pro-life than the rest of us because they're already shunned by a lot of their friends and peers. They have ample reason to bottle up their pro-life beliefs, keep quiet, or sit on the sidelines. Instead, we should welcome them into our movement with open arms. Maybe their way of focusing upon that with which we agree is the first most important step. I'm Scott Baker. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. The Dear Jane podcast is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. You can learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.com.